0: this April 10th, Good Friday in the year of the plague, 2020, I am Hugh Hewitt. That music means it's the Hillsdale Dialogue, the last radio hour of the week. And I just texted my friend Carl I'm off to be humbled by Dr. Arne. And this is the, uh, the weekly ritual in which I, I am humbled by Dr. Larry Arne and his colleagues. This is going to be especially tough because he brought along Jordan J. Wales, which really isn't fair. Professor Wales, I just got to read this. He's an assistant professor of theology at Hillsdale College where he teaches historical theology. His research focuses on early Christian understanding of the vision of God, as well as contemporary theological questions relating to artificial intelligence, of course. He received his MTS and PhD in theology from the University of Notre Dame, got that going for him, after studying under a British Marshall scholarship in the UK, where he received a diploma in theology from Oxford and an MS in cognitive science and natural language, of course, from the University of Edinburgh. He graduated with highest honors from Swarthmore College with a B.S. in engineering, of course, and a minor in psychological psychology, and he received a graduate research fellowship from the National Science Foundation. Dr. Arne, welcome. Professor Wales, I assume you are from Ohio.
1: <laughs> I'm not from Ohio. I'm from Delaware. I don't know if that's worse or better.
0: Oh, that's better. It's, you could have been from Michigan, so that's better. Uh, how did you end up at Hillsdale? Because we're going to talk about King David, but I don't know why anyone with this pedigree would submit himself to tyranny uh, in the way that you have. <laughs>
1: you mean the tyranny of Dr. Arne? Yes, well, of it, course. It's been, a,
0: it's been a pleasant
1: tyranny. Uh, I ended up at Hillsdale because uh, Hillsdale College is oriented toward uh, forming people in wisdom, toward a, a vision of education that is the transformation of an individual to, to know the world, to immerse oneself in reality, and that really appealed to me.
0: Well, this is a remarkable uh, uh, Vita. Uh, and I got to say, Dr. Orrin, why have you hel- uh, uh, hidden Dr. Wales from us thus far? I mean, we've been doing this since 2013. Well, Jordan is young, and he is a show pony,
2: but I thought, <laughs> I thought he should mature before he makes his debut.
0: <laughs> there you go. You see, Jordan, you're in for this for the next, like, forever many years that he's around. Uh, <laughs> he's, you see what I mean? he...
1: It's a gentle tyrant.
0: <laughs> Dr. Arn, um, we are talking about David today. You sent me a compliment last night. I'm going to have it framed because I said we got to talk about the prophets at some point, but first we've got to talk about the kings, and this king has a prophet. Why or did you pick David? Because you picked David. Uh, well, uh, he's, uh, I, I, I have notes from Jordan, and it's
2: amazing. You know, Jordan and I are educated rather differently, but rather the same, too. And I agree with his notes. Uh, J- J- David is the most perfect king, and very imperfect. And that's sort of the story of the Jews. That's, that's what they show us. God picks them, and they're not up to it. And uh, it's hard for them. And so David is the supreme example, I think. He, he, he's not the most powerful of the kings. That's uh, Solomon, his son. But he's a tremendous... God loves him, especially loves him. And is, loves him because he's beautiful, loves him because he's pious, because he's obedient, and yet he also isn't obedient. And uh, so he exemplifies. He said, I, "I think I don't know, Jordan. What do you think?" But I think he's the peak of the story of the Jews.
0: Jordan.
1: Yes, certainly he's the he's the peak of the story of the Jews. He, for the first time under David, the, the Jewish nation uh, functions as a nation, uh, very stably, and uh, and really what we see in David also is the way in which in the narrative of the Old Testament, God takes this uh, impulse in the people where they want a king, they want to be respectable like the other nations, they don't want to be ruled directly by God, they want a king, they want somebody to go win their battles for them. Uh, and he takes that, uh, God takes that and folds it into the, the general journey of the Jews, into uh, greater closeness with God, which means that David occupies a position of both being a kind of exemplary king, but also just an exemplary Jew, uh, complete with his failings. Because when David fails, he then knows how to recover from it. And his son Solomon is not quite so uh, skilled at that.
0: Professor Wales, is there any doubt in your mind as to the historicity of David, though archaeological evidence is scarce, if existent at all?
1: Well, uh, the no, there, there's no doubt in my mind as to the, the historicity of David. I believe that there were recently some uh, discoveries: a, a seal referring to David and a coin, uh, and even uh, one of David's palaces. I think was recently unearthed, and, and that's a fairly secure uh, archaeological uh, statement. i not, I'm not too uh, versed in the, in the latest research on that, but no, I don't have any doubts myself.
0: Now, I have often asked at dinner parties when conversation lags, people to describe for me the most beautiful thing they've ever seen. And people divide into two categories. Those who will say a geographical feature like the opening of Yosemite Valley, uh, something like that. And those who will say uh, David, (laughs) (laughs) because it is the most beautiful thing I've ever seen. Uh, Larry Arn, is that because uh, the artist had in front of him just an amazing object on which to dwell and be inspired?
2: Well, there are those four reasons that make anything beautiful that's it's, that human-made, and and uh, you know, so what it's made of, and Michelangelo making it, and and the form of David, uh, he was beautiful, and uh, Michelangelo captures that, and uh, and then his final purpose, and Michelangelo's final purpose is he is on a special mission from God. It's worth mentioning that in the today's Good Friday. Uh, in the uh, Gospel of Matthew it begins with the lineage of Jesus and uh, David is one of the way stations Uh, starts with Abraham and it goes to the Exodus well, I've got to forget but uh, there are 14 generations between uh, uh, Abraham to David and 14 uh, from David to the captivity in Babylon and 14 then to Jesus and uh, and so Jesus is a on his father's side a descendant from David, and he's the person mentioned in that apart from Abraham. So he's to, to Christians and Jews alike. David is an extremely significant man.
0: We will come back to the actual story of David in a moment, but I am curious, uh, Professor Wales, whether or not you think. Well, what is the most defining aspect of david's character?
1: Well, I think that uh, yes, the defining aspect of character would be twofold, and uh, one would be his uh, particular relationship with God, and the other would be what that enables in the, in the kind of king he is. Uh, the Really, the constitutive principle of the nation of Israel at that point is their directedness toward God. God is their king, and because David uh, understands the nation itself as, uh, as constituted by that reality of their relationship with God, he doesn't, uh, he doesn't perceive himself as identified with the nation. He's able to be at the service of the nation. Uh, and I can speak more on that if you want, but that, 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 that detachment that he has, that kind of repose in recognizing himself as, as at the service of the nation in light of God, uh, really e- enables him to exercise the kind of discernment and uh, and achieve the success that he does as a ruler.
0: Well, now here's a lesson for a, a program in the middle of a plague at the service of the nation. What does that mean, Professor Wales?
1: At the service of the, for for King David,
0: yeah, and he, for modern leaders.
1: Oh, certainly. Well, I I was I was reflecting on this, uh, assuming that you'd ask a question like that, and I I really think that uh, of course. Our nation is not a it's not a it's not a religiously constituted nation. Uh, it doesn't have uh, God as its king uh, in the in the kind of political sense that uh, that Israel did. Uh, we have a written constitution, but we do have a we have a founding and we have a written constitution. And our government serves uh, in order to advance uh, the nation's flourishing, as defined by that constitution. And uh, in the time of the plague here, we enter into the strange circumstance in which uh, a lot of the ordinary functioning of the nation is suspended uh, in service of the long-term uh, flourishing of the nation under the Constitution. But in a way, the kind of life we live right now, is uh, it doesn't look like the life one would expect. Uh, we're all staying at home. We're not allowed to go to our jobs, et cetera, et cetera. But, uh, but there's something I also find uh, rather beautiful about it, that uh, rather than an act of uh, despotism, uh, keeping us all confined to our homes, uh, it is the, the success of this effort uh, relies upon the vo- voluntary self-limitation of others. We must, in a way, we must, we must embody what the founders thought. We must rule ourselves. We must make the choice to stay home. We're unlikely to be caught by the police if we go out. And so uh, there's there's something uh, something wonderful about that.
0: There is we're gonna talk about that more and King David when we return. The Hillsdale dialogue this week is about King David. The leadership series continues with Dr. Larry Arn, Dr. Jordan Wales from Hillsdale. All things Hillsdale are at Hillsdale.edu, including a great online course, Hillsdale.edu slash US history. And, of course, all of these dialogues at Hillsdale.com go nowhere. I'll be right back on the Hugh Hewitt Show. Welcome back, America. It's Hugh Hewitt. It is the Hillsdale Dialogue. All things Hillsdale are collected at Hillsdale.edu, including amazing online courses during this period of self-quarantine and isolation or stay-at-home orders. Uh, and I am joined this morning by Dr. Larry Arnn, president of Hillsdale College. And now, Dr. Jordan Wales, a new guest from the Hillsdale faculty. Uh, we are talking about King David. Before I go back to King David, when we left on break, Dr. Wales had remarked about how in this time of plague, Americans are limiting themselves largely in a voluntary fashion. Dr. Arnn, I've begun a new book by Eric Larson to listen to on my rambles called The Splendid and the Vile. It's about 1940 in Churchill. He's a very good author. I do not know if it's a very good book, but it is a good beginning because he honors Dr. Martin Gilbert at the beginning of his book, which I think is a good omen. But it's about the Blitz, specifically about the Blitz. I am curious about Dr. Wales' comment. During the Blitz, did most Britons have to be coerced in any way? During the war, were they a voluntary people or were they a coerced people?
2: Uh, Yeah, well, they, uh, they there was no even even in the war even with rationing even with the biggest army they ever had uh... there was no real mechanism to coerce them uh... they ruled themselves they had to and uh, churchill wrote of that phenomenon and of the spirits they kept up that uh, they the the island was suffused in a white glow it had become the lion and i was called upon to give the roar uh... So, yeah, it was it was a people, and you know, uh, my my wife's parents, uh, you know, both had a, in their different ways a hard war. And they and and my my wife's grandparents had a hard war in the First World War and they knew all about the war and they remembered at
0: that time with reverence. Uh, Dr. Wales then back to David when he leads the Jews and becomes their king. Do they follow willingly, or are they a stiff-necked people that we discussed last week when we discussed Moses?
1: Uh, they, they, for the most part, follow willingly. Uh, he has a rather tense situation because he's anointed as the king, while another king is still on the throne, King Saul.
0: <laughs> that That is inconvenient. <laughs> <laughs> it's,
1: it's rather inconvenient. But uh, David, uh, even though he's he's urged to assassinate Saul... Uh, there are a number of rather humorous moments where uh, at one point when Saul is hunting for David to slay him, David and his band of uh, rebels, I suppose you could say are are hiding in the back of a cave where Saul goes to uh relieve himself uh, and uh, David has the opportunity to to kill Saul, but instead he cuts off some of saul 's cloak, and then when Saul is safely away from the cave. David kind of waves it at him to show I, I could have killed you, and so there's a there's a kind of I don't know impish grandstanding there. But at the same time, uh, David is seen in the in the scriptures as really uh, understanding the concept of mercy, which is uh, very dear to the heart of the Lord. That's why David is a man after the Lord's heart. And so after David comes to power, he really has the opportunity to destroy all of those who were loyal to Saul. But instead, he brings them into his court. He even becomes a sort of adoptive father to the last surviving son of Saul. Uh, and so by that, David is really able to uh, gain the loyalty of the northern tribes who were who had supported Saul during the conflict between David and Saul.
0: Uh, Dr. Wales, we've got two minutes in this segment. We're going to spend a lot of time on the kingship aspects in a moment. But could you, for the benefit of the Steelers fans who are listening and those who are are biblically illiterate, just give the quick summary of David's life.
1: Sure, the quick summary of David's life is that the the Israelites ask for a king. They're given Saul, who's a kind of king in the way you would imagine he's he's strong and 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 decisive. Uh but uh Saul isn't a good uh he's he's not a good facilitator of the people's relationship with God. So David is chosen, and David is this little stripling, he's a youth, he's very handsome and everything, but he's not very kingly. Uh he's originally a shepherd and uh he's welcomed into Saul's court initially then Saul grows jealous tries to kill David finally uh, Saul himself is killed and David becomes king uh David extends the dominions of uh of Israel he uh suborns uh neighboring peoples but then eventually uh David uh, uh sees the wife of uh, one of his most loyal servants Bathsheba takes her and uh as his wife kills his servant and this ends up bringing down David's house again
0: We will talk about that in detail and the nature of kingship, what it means, and how David exemplifies leadership, both good and bad. When we return, it is the Hillsdale Dialogue, all things Hillsdale, collected at hillsdale.edu. Please stay tuned. Welcome back, America. I'm Hugh Hewitt. It's the Hillsdale Dialogue, all things Hillsdale, collected at hillsdale.edu. And on this Good Friday, I want to tell you that at 5 p.m. today, you can watch the Good Friday service from the Hillsdale uh, Chapel. It's a beautiful church, absolutely stunning. And it will be uh, available live streaming at 5 p.m. tonight at hillsdale.edu. You might want to mark that in your calendar. Dr. Arne will be there and a few people. I imagine it will not be crowded because of the era in which we live, Dr. Arnn. But I, am, I, th- I think this is a very good idea.
2: Yeah. Well,
0: it... Um... We're going to have convocation at at the appointed time. It's always on a Thursday in a
2: couple of weeks. And we're going to stream that, too, and we're going to do that in the regular way. A bunch of us are going to dress up in our robes and process, and last year's Professor of the Year is going to give a talk, and we're going to go through all that because we're – you know, it's it's, – the online courses are pretty good. I don't know how Jordan finds them. But uh, everybody, all the students, all my students for sure – They're all quick to say, yeah, but it's not the real thing, see? So we want to keep the real thing alive.
0: Well, of course, it has to be nurtured. Uh, As some people say, the economy is in a coma, so is higher education, but some comas are better than other comas. And this one is uh, medically induced, and we will come out of it. Uh, Dr. Uh, Wales, let's go to David and statesmanship. You mentioned already he might have killed Saul but did not. And I think most people who are... Christian or Jewish, are familiar with this story, but in that restraint is a mighty lesson, is there not? It has Dr. Wales? Yeah, go ahead.
1: Yes, am I on? Yes, you are. Good. Well, I think you see the same uh, character way that he does kill Goliath uh, in the battle between uh, the Israelites and the Philistines when Goliath comes forward and asks for a challenger. uh, uh King Saul is not willing to step forward, but David does, and David steps forward with the confidence of one who knows he knows what he serves. He sees what the he sees by the Talos, if you will, of the nation. He knows that the nation belongs to God, and that gives him confidence. Uh, David has no need of justifying himself before others, and so when Goliath mocks him, David is unconcerned. Similarly, with Saul. Uh, when Paul comes into the cave, if David were in the business of uh, proving his kingliness by uh, assassinating his rivals by, by needing to, again, justify his position, and this would have been an opportunity to remove a rival. But uh, the confidence that David has in understanding what this nation is, uh, whom it serves, and what ultimately uh, shapes the outcome of events enables him to, to remain aloof from both of these provocations – uh, and enables him to act decisively when necessary, decisively in his combat with Goliath, and decisively in waiting for events to play out in his conflict with Saul.
0: Well, he's a shepherd, and and therefore we would assume not literate. I might be wrong in making that assumption. Correct me, obviously, if I am. How does he come by his education and statesmanship? Uh, and, and that's a question to both Dr. Wells and Dr. Arne. I mean, we, we know David fully formed. We see him in the statue. We understand his story, but Actually, how did he learn this? This is not intuited.
1: Yes. Well, um, I'll I'll take at that he. Uh, I suppose you could argue that certainly he would have immediate sources. One would be the experience of being a shepherd, uh, and uh, people talk about the difficulty of herding cats. From the look of it, uh, herding sheep is is almost as difficult as herding children to bedtime. Uh, And so the the shepherd really has to, if the shepherd is going to be successful, the shepherd has to know the sheep well, understand the dynamics of their behavior, et cetera, and see how all of that would transfer to kingship. Then the other would simply be the recent history of the people of Israel. They're a tribal confederation. There's a lot of infighting. And uh, there's, uh, just as among uh, among a large family, or perhaps even in a sheepfold, there's an to, to understand the, the dynamics in the population uh, in order to bring about reconciliation and get everybody moving in the same direction.
0: What do you mean by tribal confederation?
1: Uh, well, you have the 12 tribes of Israel who are descended from the sons of Jacob. They, uh, the family of Jacob multiplies in Egypt and come out of Egypt. They're in, in 12 tribes. But during the period, one of the reasons they want a king in the first place is that the tribes keep fighting amongst themselves, and they have difficulty uniting themselves in order to resist uh, exterior threats. So I suppose it's, I, I mean, very loosely sometimes to my students, I say, well, it's kind of like the, the kingdom of Israel starts out as a bit like the 13 colonies. And then when you get to Solomon, uh, Solomon tries to turn it into a, a real kingdom, and uh that's what provokes the uh that's what provokes the rebellion against Solomon's rule in the end is that centralization of power uh but yeah it's a, the the, twi- the tribes are self-governing and uh they they form alliances uh when necessary to fight uh wars against external enemies
0: you know, Dr. Arn, uh, Stephen Pressfield is a great author, wrote The Gates of Fire and many other fine bestsellers, uh, has a website called It's the Tribe Stupid, about why no one will ever ca- conquer Afghanistan, because tribal confederations are just that. They're so deeply rooted in human history, so uh, hardwired into us. It's hard to imagine anyone doing what David did, which is bringing a successful nation out of a tribal confederacy.
2: Well, you're asking about how he became a statesman, and you have to remember that the first thing that happened about him that stunned the world was that David was a tremendous warrior. Yes, he he uh, he he got that sublime opportunity. Right, he killed the champion of the Philistines, and he uh, and you know very dramatically and arrogantly, you know he he was and and that speech that he gives to Goliath is characteristic of of something jordan has remarked and that is he fought in the name of god and and then right after that he you know the thing that makes saul jealous and tries to kill him repeatedly is that david is a tremendous commander he you know saul has killed his thousands and david has killed his tens of thousands the people would chant and saul knows how things work he didn't like that kind of talk so, yeah, David, uh, he part of the way that he united the tribe was he took them to victory.
0: Is there any mercy in him, Dr. Wales, other than Indeed. towards Saul which you mentioned?
1: Yes, uh certainly the uh even after things begin to go go bad in David's family, uh after he takes Bathsheba and gets her husband killed and uh marries her and his his sons begin kind of imitating that sort of behavior. But even uh, as a couple of sons rebel against David's rule, most famously there's, there's Absalom. And uh, when Absalom is uh, riding down the road, he's slain by one of David's generals. And uh, the general expects that David will be quite pleased that this enemy has been dealt with. But instead, uh, David mourns, wishes that he himself were dead instead of Absalom. And uh, things don 't go too well for that general uh, so there's a uh, uh the mercy of David there is that again he uh, he's able to he's, he's able to be brash, even arrogant, as Dr. Arne said, but he always but he but he never quite centers himself as the point of everything uh, and so he's able to see that this rebellion against his rule in the end uh doesn't have to be dealt with by his own absolute victory rather he seeks a, ultimately a reconciliation uh with his sons uh, and when that becomes impossible he mourns deeply so the uh the detachment that David has even from assaults against his own person enables him to be to be merciful
0: let let me pause for a moment because again um for the biblically illiterate you've skipped over the key Flaw, or at least the story that illustrates the key flaw, which is Bathsheba and the role of Nathan. You are that man. Would you recount that for us, uh, Doctor Wells?
1: Yeah, sure. The uh, David is. Uh, I suppose he must be on the. He's on his in his palace, and he looks down on one of the roofs of the lower houses, and he sees Bathsheba bathing and uh it says actually she's uh, she's engaging in a purifying ritual so she is engaged in an act of prayer according to the law during her bath uh but david just sees a, a beautiful naked woman and he desires her he invites her to the palace they sleep together uh she conceives a son and then uh david in his desire to hide the pregnancy uh takes uh orders her her husband, uh, Uriah, who's one of David's most loyal followers during the wars, uh, he says, you know, go home to your wife, take some time off. So he's hoping the pregnancy can be credited to Uriah. Uh, but Uriah, in this, in this sort of beautiful, sad irony, says, no, I, I wouldn't weaken myself by, by taking time for that sort of thing before the battle. I want all my energy directed towards serving you, which is exactly the opposite of what David has just done. Uh and so instead uh David uh David offered that he's kind of offered that opportunity for repentance uh by the counterexample of Uriah, uh, but instead uh David doubles down as it were and sends Uriah to the front line of battle so that Uriah will be killed and uh then David can have Bathsheba as his wife. Uh and this this really uh leads to the undoing of his kingdom not in the sense that 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 act directly provokes a rebellion, but in a way, David has, he's disintegrated within. He's able to lead his kingdom according to the law of God. He wants to build a temple to direct uh, all the people to worship of God, to unite the kingdom around God, but he himself is is interiorly fragmented. Uh, He himself is not united to the way of the law and this uh this kind of has a ripple effect through his family uh and and his sons follow in his ways in more violent ways than that uh and uh, and it really it tears apart the kingdom due to the rivalries within his family that continue to play out that same uh sort of passion driven
0: uh theft
1: that David himself has uh, consented to
0: and, and dr Arndt, to close this segment out uh it takes a prophet to tell a king that he's screwed. It's Nathan the prophet, and you and I were talking via email uh, that, that we only have a, a minute and a half to the break. Prophets have to show up sometime to tell the people in power that they've gone very, very bad. Yeah, There's a, there's a good book
2: uh, written by Jack Miles, who was a colleague in Claremont, and he, he notices that through the progression of the Old Testament, through the story of it, that God talks directly to some people, Abraham and Moses. And then he talks to them through prophets. You know, Samuel, to anoint David, first Saul and then David. And so, yeah, he... he uh, David, uh, a- as the Jewish story goes on, their leaders have less and less direct access to God, and they listen less and less. But this thing with Nathan is very dramatic. He tells about a lamb... And uh, uh, a man took a uh, took a favorite animal from a, a powerful man from a poor man, and David says he condemns that. And then Nathan says, "And that's you, because you know what what David did is, you know, for all his mercy and his justice, beyond justice, mercy. David just, David was an adulterer and a murderer. Yes,
0: and, uh, <laughs> and, that's, and know, that. That's, uh, <laughs> That's about as low as you go. We come back from break. Uh, how did he redeem himself from that? How did he lead thereafter? Because every leader has got flaws. Hopefully, they've got prophets around them. And uh, we'll finish up with Dr. Wells and Dr. Arn right after this break from the ReliefFactor.com studio inside of the Beltway. Don't forget, ReliefFactor.com. Go and get it for your exercise in this time of a plague because you need the exercise. We'll be right back on The Hugh Hewitt Show. Welcome back, America to you, and thank you for listening. Dr. Larry is my guest, as is Dr. Jordan Wales. It is the Hillsdale Dialogue. We are focused on this Good Friday, on the plague, obviously, but also there are lessons in history from leadership that begins as far back as, well, we've already covered Moses today. We're talking about King David. Next week we'll do the prophets. Uh, Dr. Wales, let me turn to you for the conclusion to David's rule, which is this internal strife within his family which gives way to Solomon, and Solomon is not anybody's idea of an ideal ruler, is he?
1: Well, no, Yes, things don't go so well for Solomon in the end. Uh, The beginning of Solomon's reign is a difficult one, too, because there's a brewing uh, attempt to usurp the throne on the part of another of David's sons, and Solomon is, uh, in the view of some interpreters, rather hastily crowned as a way of forestalling a civil war uh but uh as soon as Solomon arrives in power he really practices a kind of real politique he puts to death all of his rivals he rapidly forms uh treaties with neighboring kings he marries the pharaoh's daughter he marries the queen of sheba he has 300 concubines and 700 wives by the end of it uh but he's it's not simply that he's a man of outsized appetites it's these are these are ways of ensuring good relations with with other uh, nations. And under Solomon, Israel really becomes an empire. Uh, Solomon builds the temple also that David didn't uh, get to build, uh, and he ensures uh, God, God promises his fidelity to the temple. So everything seems to be going really well. And, of course, Solomon is remembered as Solomon the Wise, uh, this, there's the famous judgment of Solomon where the two women both claim a baby and he says, well, let's split it in half. And then the, the true mother says, no, it, take the baby. So he understands human motivations. He understands that the, the true mother's love for her baby will not permit her to allow the child to be split in half just because two women claim it. Uh, but this this wisdom of Solomon, uh, the theme of wisdom in the Old Testament, very much like wisdom in the in the best of the Hellenistic tradition, it's really a transcendent thing. It's a, a knowledge of the way things are, of the natures of things and the deep principles of reality and human life that's supposed to move toward God, toward the life of God. But uh, in the end, why is Solomon
0: uh... why Solomon, you went blank on us there, Doctor. Doctor Arn, if you're with us, why Solomon because of a despot?
2: Yeah, that's right, and see, in the end, Solomon is overcome by all that. Jordan makes a really great point that I had never thought of, and that is uh, uh, Solomon is so good at this, and that is the ultimate temptation. And, uh, you know, he uh, the concubines, right, and they're from many nations, right, and they want to worship in the high places, they call them, that's erecting idols up in a high spot, and Solomon does that cultivates that right and in the end israel is not about god anymore or is not fully about god anymore it's divided
0: and in all the kings i don't know if you're back with us professor wells it follows i i think there are 41 of them i can't remember my sunday school stuff there there are what two or three that are any good uh well hezekiah
2: is a great king and in some ways the best king. And Israel prospers under him. And by the time he comes along, you know, several hundred years later, uh, they have to go find the old books and dust them off and figure out how to worship and all that. But he is actually the example of somebody, because David has very serious flaws, and Solomon has more serious flaws. Actually, it's the same flaws, but without the a submission to God and repentance, and Hezekiah is the is the clearest example. And after him, there were no more great kings.
0: Uh, we'll have to reflect on that. We come back next week and we talk about the prophets. We'll we'll find a way to give Hezekiah his due, since he managed to escape from that rather desultory uh, trail of of tears that are the kings of Israel after David. Yeah, we we lost Dr. Wells. We would have wished him goodbye, but I think he's out of battery. Are you skimping on the batteries up there at Hillsdale, Dr. Earn? We are, as a matter of fact.
2: And I I should tell everybody that we need the kids back because I'm underfoot. While this railroad program has been going, I have managed to burn some boiled eggs. They have (laughs) exploded all over the kitchen, and my wife is cleaning it up. (laughs)
0: I am not to blame, Uh, Penny. I am not to blame. Dr. Arn is to blame, and I am not surprised that that happened. Keep him away from machinery. But at 5 p.m. tonight, go to hillsdale.edu and enjoy Good Friday services. Reflect on Good Friday in this time of plague. Their learning goes on. Their example continues. Uh, You could do a lot worse than support hillsdale.edu in this time as a way of sacrificing for yourself. Dr. Arn, thank you. Be safe. Uh, thank you, Dwayne, for working on this Friday. We're a remarkable show. Thank you, Ben, for working on this Friday. We will be back on Monday. And I, uh, I leave you with our friend Tarzana Joe's Roll Back the Stone uh, hymn from years ago. And I will see you on Monday. Have a blessed and a wonderful, a glorious Easter. We'll get through this. We're all in it together.